The Hub is a community. Manuscript, book, and print cultures. Stamping problems. You are listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The Hub is a space celebrating tenure through the community. This the Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Over to you. Oh, thanks for having me. And I, I've timed it, and it's under nine minutes, but <laughs> closer to nine than to five. So apologies for that. Um, so the, the police murder of uh, George Floyd is obviously appalling, reprehensible, and unacceptable. And the visceral reaction to this event has, as we've seen, catalyzed a, a truly widespread protest against all kinds of racial injustice. It seems at one level unbelievable that such thing could happen, but uh, we do need to understand better how it did, and that's a task that those of us based in the universities can and must contribute to. So I'm gonna try to sketch out very briefly uh, a sort of an answer of how we got to this point, uh, which goes to the nature of policing in lower class African-American communities. There's a very long history going back to slavery that's quite relevant, but I'm gonna just start today back in the 1960s a time when you had widespread revolt among African-Americans expressed in both political organization and spontaneous uprisings, or more commonly, you might think of them just as, uh, as riots. Uh, but you also had worsening economic conditions. African-Americans had largely been concentrated in the South, the old Confederate states whose economies were based on slave labor, and which following the Civil War continued to exploit the agricultural labor of poor blacks, poor whites as well, by the way. But starting with World War I and accelerating during World War II, many African-Americans moved to urban centers outside the South, attracted by relatively well-paid jobs in factories. This was a process known as the Great Migration. By the 1960s, however, industry was moving out of city centers to suburbs, uh, to the low-wage and anti-union American South and abroad to the Third World. African-Americans were spatially segregated, you know, removed from jobs, had little access to adequate education, and in economic terms had become effectively a surplus population, confined at best to very low wage service sector jobs, with high rates of unemployment, and receiving the worst public services on account of state-sponsored housing segregation, unequal allocation of municipal resources, and declining city budgets with white flight to the suburbs. And uh, you know, one of the important things to understand about American politics is how much is done on a local level. So education, for example, is something that is largely local, um, you know, first and foremost with the states and the national government having less control, very different than here in Ireland. So if uh, you have a declining tax base in a city, uh, that means there's less money for education for the people there because that's how education is funded in a way that really exacerbates inequality. So throughout history, Blacks in the U.S. have been exploited for their labor. Um, you know, that was the whole point of slavery and, and afterwards. But from the 1960s, their labor wasn't really required anymore. Um, but they posed, nevertheless, a dual threat to the law and order that American elites sought to maintain. A political threat represented in the radical organizing, but also the threat of crime. Uh, and we should definitely be wary of any you know, common stigmatization of linking blacks with crime. But on the other hand, it's hardly surprising that a group with few employment opportunities would turn to, to crime um, for economic reasons, for, for no, no others. 
So what was the political response that happened back in the 1960s? Because I think that there is a parallel in that that was the last time that you really had widespread discussion of these topics and there was a big political debate. Now within the mainstream political system, you had on the one hand sort of liberal ideas represented in the Kerner Report, which I wrote about in the Irish Times a bit, that was a 1968 US government report suggesting that uh, drastic action would need to be taken uh, to address the root causes of the, the rise of the time. But that was not the route on which the US uh, went down. So instead what you got was a system of mass incarceration and over-policing of African-American neighborhoods and that's still very much in place today. Um, the rates of mass incarceration are just incredible. I mean, for the American population at large, but especially for African-Americans. Uh, about 10% of black men between the ages of 18 to 29 are currently in prison like not have been imprisoned at some point, but they're in prison right now, approximately 10%. You can imagine the devastation um, that this creates among communities. Uh, and you know, once someone is in prison, it's not like they, when they get out, they can just go and get a normal job and rent an apartment or whatever. They're effectively removed from the formal economy and uh, there's a very high chance that they'll go back to crime. Um, so that's mass incarceration. This is the way I, trying to suggest uh, of um, maintaining law and order, uh, addressing that political threat. The other thing is what, what is known as broken windows policing and what that entails. I mean, basically the idea was you crack down on minor infractions, you know, people break windows, you crack down on that, and that will, you know, reduce overall crime. But what it actually entails is basically the daily harassment of individual African-Americans, uh, effectively turns African-American areas areas into, into a police state where, you know, uh, walking down the street, they can be stopped at any moment uh, and uh, harassed uh, or worse. Uh, policemen on the beat uh, are given near impossible tasks. Uh, I think we should have a sort of sympathy for the police and uh, try to understand their situation rather than simply just, you know, um, uh, attacking the cops, which is uh, an easy, but, um, you know, problematic position. Uh, effectively, the police and the beat are given quotas in terms of the numbers of people that they need to stop. They're not stupid. They're not going to stop, you know, some young gang member who might have a gun and kill them. So they pick on people like George Floyd, you know, a middle-aged guy who doesn't pose much of a risk to physical danger. Um, most of the police in these areas do navigate their impossible tasks the best they can, uh, but a few respond to every situation with extreme aggression, uh, and there's little to no accountability for police to inflict violence on African Americans. So while I do think the policeman who murdered George Floyd will be successfully charged with his, his murder, um, he's been charged and he'll be convicted, that will very much be the exception rather than the rule and will only because, be because we have irrefutable video evidence and we have so many cases, uh, you know, the previous cases, uh, Michael Brown, Ferguson, uh, uh, um, the case down in, in Florida, Trayvon Martin, you know, the people who killed them, murdered these uh, African-Americans got off uh, scot-free. So in brief, I think that's, that's how you get to the situation that leads to George Floyd. But I think we also need to understand Floyd's death and many of uh, those many others as sort of limit cases. These, this is the worst of the worst, but it reveals the daily violence evident in lower class African-American neighborhoods as a result of police brutality, mass incarceration, employment, unemployment, poverty. I draw a parallel maybe to lynching. I mean, the numbers of African-Americans lynched even at the height of uh, Jim Crow were relatively small. I mean, you're talking about, you know, dozens of people uh, a year, but the fact that African-Americans could be lynched by a lynch mob 
you know, uh, introduced a whole system of, of racial terror. And I think that's the police murder, you know, it's a limit case, it's extreme, but it suggests all kinds of um, things going on in daily life and a very real fear that uh, any African-American has dealing with the police. So I guess I'd just stress, if I could make one point, is that this is a very deeply rooted problem. Uh, token solutions will do little or nothing to address it. And that's what systemic or institutional racism means. I mean, that term's being thrown out about a lot, but um, I think sometimes without an understanding of what, what it really means, that, that if you really believe in systemic or institutional racism, you have to believe in radical change. Uh, sensitivity training for the police, that was done in Minneapolis, that doesn't do very much. Hiring more black cops, that doesn't really do anything. Improving police professionalism, that doesn't really do anything. What's needed is ending broken windows policing, ending mass incarceration. But if you're gonna do that, you also need to find a different solution to the underlying conditions of the changes to a post-industrial economy for which those policies posed as, the, as a solution back in the 1960s. So I think there's no real solution without a massive redistribution of economic resources and political power and that requires not simply radical change on a scale we haven't seen for decades, but also the formation of a, of a broader political coalition that would include, but also go beyond um, the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, if you're like me, you grew up in a, I grew up in a racially divided city in Virginia. The public schools have been racially integrated for less than a generation. Uh, obviously, I've studied American history and kept abreast of recent events. What happened to George Floyd didn't come as a surprise. To be honest, it, it uh, was, came as a shock, certainly, and perhaps even more of a shock that it wasn't surprising. But, um, you know, this is unfortunately very much par, par for the course. But what has really surprised me is the level of response, uh, not just in the US, but all over the world. I can't really explain why, in the, you know, at this moment, we're getting this level of response and, and not in, uh, as much in earlier ones. But it's certainly long overdue that we address systemic racism at all levels of, of our society, including here in Ireland, where it seems that finally the horrendous and racist system of direct provision has become an issue. And obviously that we also address this here, right here at uh, Trinity College. Uh, and I think it's great, you know, the statements are great, this discussion is great, but I also think we shouldn't fool ourselves that the solutions are going to be easy. Uh, it's hardening that a majority of people believe we need a society where George Floyd's won't be murdered by the police, but uh, obtaining that society is going to be difficult. The danger of political reaction by white supremacists like Donald Trump is obvious enough. Perhaps less evident is the danger of co-optation by leaders who will talk a good talk, but only take token steps. So if we want real change, uh, we better steal ourselves for a long and difficult struggle. Thanks. Thanks so much, Dan. Um, I'm just sorry it was only that nine was minutes. A I think. Uh, Manuscript, you, book, you and print so cultures, stamping provenance towards the history of the Time of the Year Library. As well as being heard. The Hub is a space. Contemplating Ireland through the communities this created by Coral The Hub is about impact. The Hub is for everyone. Here's to the next 10 years.